Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Daniel Paisner, author of the new novel, Balloon Dog. Daniel Ford wrote about the novel, funny, smart, and populated with empathetic, unforgettable characters you wouldn't mind teaming up with for an art heist. Daniel Paisner's fiction pen hasn't lost an ounce of ink, a yarn you're not going to want to put down. Daniel, welcome to the podcast. Jeff, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your novel, Balloon Dog, how would you describe the novel? Oh, my goodness. If they, uh, They're missing the boat, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's really about a bungled art heist gone all kinds of sideways. Uh, and uh, it's an opportunity for the protagonists, and I guess for me by extension and our readers, to reflect on... Uh, the meaning we attach to uh, works of art in our culture. Um, and it's about the theft or the attempted theft of a Jeff Koons balloon dog sculpture, these ubiquitous um, um, pieces of art that you probably see in public squares and uh, on display all over the place. Some of them are gigantic. Some of them fit on your mantelpiece, uh, but they're all balloon dogs. Um, it's kind of like the smiley face of the pop art world, and they trade for millions and millions of dollars. And I thought it was a great way to take a look through um, uh, through sort of the metaphor of that sculpture at what it means to create something of value and what it means to leave a mark or a legacy. And I'm curious, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write your novel, Balloon Dog? I do, actually. Um, I was actually visiting a friend of mine um, at a home um, where there was a fabulous, valuable sculpture on, on the front lawn. And, and we were quite unaware that the sculpture was due to be moved because of the elements. It was kinetic. It was a mobile. Uh, it, and it was kind of uh, fragile in the ways that these balloon dog sculptures can be fragile. And lo and behold, a crew of six or eight guys showed up one morning unannounced to haul away this sculpture. And we quite happily and stupidly waved these folks along. The owner of the house was not anywhere around. And it didn't occur to any of us to check and see if these guys were legit or not. It turns out, <laughs> happily, they were. <laughs> and they had a portfolio. But in, in that moment, I thought, gee, what a great jumping off point for uh, a book. If you have an iconic work of art that is kind of lifted in plain sight in the middle of the day, uh, what happens next? And the wheels were kind of set in motion there. It took me a while to actually sit down to write. This was a pandemic-y novel. I finally had a window in my schedule where I could sit down uninterrupted and write every day for a stretch of weeks and months. Um, and this is what bubbled forth. Well, in addition to writing your novel, Balloon Dog, you've also written extensively as a ghostwriter, and you've written more than 50 books in collaboration with athletes, actors, politicians, business leaders, and ordinary individuals with extraordinary stories to tell. And I know that 17 of your collaborations have reached the New York Times bestseller list. I'm sure that, you know, a lot of people, when they hear that, would have the question, how did you get started as a ghostwriter? Uh, again, that was kind of another happy accident. You know, I've since met uh, many folks who traffic in this space as writers, as whether they call themselves ghostwriters or collaborators or story architects or editorial consultants. 
um, and none of them um, have landed here by design. It's always been a career pivot of some kind. Um, maybe it starts out as a uh, freelance or a one-off assignment uh, to fill the space between uh, other assignments. In my case, it turned out to be a career. I um, was fortunate enough to land a gig writing a book with Willard Scott. I don't know if your listeners remember Willard Scott. He was the happy, jolly weatherman on the Today Show for a couple of decades. Um, and I went in at the urging of the publisher to go meet with him because he had just signed a book with Simon & Schuster. And lo and behold, he said, okay, this guy's good enough for me if it's good enough for Simon & Schuster. And we started working together. I never thought that that would be a career. It really was a freelance gig for me. Um, but nevertheless, that one project led to the next and the next. And here I am 30 some odd years later and 50 or 60 books later, and I'm still doing it. <laughs> well, you've worked on numerous ghostwriting projects and books and novels, um, some of which I'm sure you can't discuss publicly. But I'm curious, are there one or two ghostwriting projects that you would view as your kind of favorite collaborations that you could mention? Uh, sure. I, I tend to like um, books with folks who are out of the way, kind of ordinary folks who aren't used to the limelight, who've nevertheless lived through something uh, that is is book worthy. Uh, I find that I work when I work with some of these name above the title type celebrities, folks who are used to having a camera or a microphone in their face, the stories they share tend to be rehearsed and told into the ground. And when I'm meeting with somebody new who's not used to the spotlight, uh, the material feels fresh and they're able to share it with me as if for the first time. And one of those stories that comes immediately to mind is a Holocaust memoir I worked on with a woman named Christina Heger, uh, who in her 70s uh, came to me with a remarkable story to tell when she was a child of seven or so, six or seven years old. She hid in the sewers of Lvov, Poland, um, with her family for 14 months and a group of a, a dozen or so other Jews. And it was a story she really never told, you know, after the war was over and after uh, the city was liberated and she and her family emigrated uh, to Israel and then eventually to the United States. She walked around with that story inside her. Her feeling was, look, if you were a Jew living in Israel after the war, you had a story to tell. Um, and it was her burden to carry and not her burden to share. Uh, and towards the end of her life, she realized, you know, what if I don't talk about this? This story is going to kind of die on my lips. And um, she connected with me and I was able to help her bring that story to light. So it was enormously rewarding to work with her on that, not only because of the ground that we covered together, which was important, uh, but it was also exciting because she was revisiting some of these memories for the first time in 50 or 60 years. That's interesting. Well, I noticed from your website that you that you also worked um, and ghost wrote the biography of the popular DJ and EDM musician Steve Aoki. How was that project for you? Oh, that was kind of wild. Um, it was. Uh, I was uh, only sort of uh, peripherally familiar with his music. I have kids who are kind of in his demo, so uh, <laughs> I, I would uh, hear his stuff. I knew who he was, of course. I knew his place in the pop culture firmament, but he wasn't exactly on my playlist. So um, now if your listeners know who Steve is, he's um, this famously busy DJ who performs, I think, over 300 shows 
a year all over the world in, in clubs all over the world and, and at festivals to audiences of over 100,000 sometimes. Um, and he doesn't sit still. So I had to go and travel with him. I rode the tour bus with him for a week or so and bounced wow. from city to city on one of his Midwestern tours. And the only time we could really roll up our sleeves and get to the business of writing his memoir was three, four, five o'clock in the morning as we were rolling from Milwaukee to Detroit or wherever the hell we were at the time. <laughs> That's so that was kind of wild. Well, I understand that you have your own podcast. Can you tell us about that? I do. I, um, it's something I started during the pandemic and it grew out of a, a sort of monthly chat group or support group uh, that uh, I participate in with my fellow ghostwriters. We kind of sit around and talk shop and it occurred to me and, you know, have trade war stories. And it occurred to me that there was something interesting in that conversation for writers and readers of, of all stripes, because we were all uh, pursuing a writing life of various sizes and stripes. And some of us did this um, uh, repeatedly, like like I do. We keep dipping into this well. And some of them, some of us were doing this as a one-off. And I thought there was an interesting conversation to be had for a general audience on how writing in collaboration, sort of taking a back seat in the story you're sharing, how that fits into a larger writing life. So I sit and visit with other ghostwriters and collaborators, and we've expanded the concept to include songwriters who write songs for other artists, joke writers who, you know, write jokes for six or eight or 10 bucks a pop for other comedians, speech writers, uh, anybody else who writes in service of someone else's voice. Um, and we visit together on this podcast, it's called As Told To, and we have these long form freewheeling conversations. And I'm finding that writers draw a lot out of that because it gives them ideas on how best to pursue their own careers and what opportunities may be available to them that they hadn't thought about. That's interesting. So as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What was your own writing journey? What, what led you to writing initially and getting your first novel published? You know, I always wrote. I was kind of lazy as a kid. And as soon as somebody <laughs> told me this was something I was good at, and then I stepped back and realized, well, this comes kind of easily to me. I thought that was a really winning combo. So I said, <laughs> let me see if I could find a way to make 
this work. Um, and I was lucky enough early on to land an agent. I wrote a, a novel while I was still in college, actually. I, I think I was shrewd enough to know that if you're taking a creative writing class and they and you have a, a an output that's expected of you, instead of writing one um, standalone story every week, I would write a series of interconnected stories. And lo and, lo and behold, at the end of a couple of semesters, I had a novel, which was strong enough to get me an agent. It wasn't strong enough to get me a publisher. But on the back of that, I was able to lean into a publishing career. And eventually, the second novel that came out of my typewriter, because it was a typewriter in those days, uh, landed on the desk of an editor at, at Dutton who liked what she read and uh, decided to put that out into the world. And then somewhere in there, I started doing uh, this ghostwriting um, stuff, which which really helped to fill the spaces between novels and also to pay the bills, because it's very hard to make a living as a widely underread novelist, Jeff. Sure. Well, in addition to your ghostwriting projects, are you planning or working on a new novel now? You know, I, I, I like to tell people I'm always working on a novel and it's, it's, kind of true but it's also kind of a line so if i'm if i'm out for a run or if i go out kayaking or or go skiing or just play hooky one day i'm kind of working so i'm able to tell my wife or somebody else who might be chasing me on a deadline that i'm, I'm busy i'm working and it's true you walk around with these ideas and it takes a while i'm sure you've had guests on the show who share with you that it takes a while sometimes for these ideas to gel and to percolate in just the right way so that a story begins to take shape. So yeah, I have a couple of ideas that are bouncing around uh, in my head and waiting for me to give them my full attention. But until then, they are getting my sidelong attention and I start to kind of work out plot points or, or themes I want to explore, something I haven't done before. I've published four novels now, Balloon Dog is the fourth, and, and they're all kind of widely, uh, wildly different. Um, and so I, I like to be in a position where I don't repeat myself. Of course, that also means you're in a position where you're not building an audience because nobody knows what the <laughs> hell to expect out of me. But uh, that's collateral damage, I guess, for amusing myself. <laughs> well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels? You know, the standard uh, knee-jerk advice that young writers always hear is to is to just write and to write every day. And I think Ernest Hemingway is the one who famously said, you just have to sit down and bite the nail um, and, and have at it. I, I take a different view, and maybe uh, that's because I've been lucky enough uh, to find a way to make a living with other kinds of writing. I find when stuff doesn't come, I'm not doing myself or my potential readers any favors by forcing it. So I wait for inspiration to hit, which is not a piece of advice that you're going to hear uh, from a, a lot of writers. Because when I've plowed through and determined to write my thousand words a day or to fill four or five pages, a lot of times the output at the end of that day is, is crap. So what I've learned over the years, it's, hey, take the kayak out, go skiing, go for a run, do something, clear your head and come back and try again the next day. The real um, uh, game-changing piece of advice for me has been to read. If you want to write, you need to read. Uh, you need to read voraciously, and you need to read indiscriminately, and you need to sort of see what's out there and what other people do with ideas that seem adjacent to ideas you, you might be having yourself. 
Um, not because you're going to poach or pinch from them, uh, but there is inspiration to be found in the in the works of others. And it doesn't have to be a, a big bang, boom kind of imp- piece of inspiration. It can be something small, you know, some new way to, uh, to set up a, a twist in a plot or some new way to present dialogue or a new perspective that you can bring to whatever it is you're working on. So read would be my, uh, my biggest takeaway and write when writing seems to make sense. Well, on that note, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? You know, I read a lot of uh, contemporary fiction. Uh, there is a lot of work out there uh, that is um, uh, admirable and, and keeps me interested. I just purchased, I haven't read it yet, so I don't know whether to, I can recommend it yet, but I'm, I've always been a big fan of John Irving, and he's out with a new book. He's 80 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I was looking forward to it, although a lot of the reviews seem to mention that it's his longest book ever, which I'm thinking is not exactly high praise if that's the lead of your review when people are pointing to the length. Nevertheless, I'm looking forward to reading his book. And then I often go back and read other books, books that have been a part of me or writers who have been a part of my reading uh, reading life that I haven't spent time with lately. So I just went back and read some Hemingway for the first time in a long time. I just read I, you know, oddly, I just read The Graduate. Who's the author of The Graduate? I think it's Charles Webb. If I'm wrong, Jeff, you can fix that in post. <laughs> but, um, you know, and and it really was like a note-for-note note, uh, version of, of the movie, which we've all uh, seen uh, over and over again. Um, so the screenwriter didn't really do a heavy lift there. They kind of picked it up right <laughs> off the page. But I really like going back and looking at books that have stood the test of time, too. That's great. Well, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels and some of your ghostwriting uh, books? Uh, I have a website, at, which is my name, danielpaisner.com. I'm also on the Twitter and uh, on Facebook. I'm actually now even on TikTok under Daniel Paisner Books, although I quite, haven't quite figured out how to make that a useful tool. But uh, <laughs> But you can find me there as well. But the cleanest spot is probably the website, danielpaisner.com. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Daniel Paisner, author of the new novel, Balloon Dog, and the author of many ghost-written books, as we've discussed. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Daniel, thanks for doing this interview. Jeff, thanks for having me on. I enjoyed talking with you. Absolutely. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.